Well, I do want to mention this morning um, a thank you. Um, there's been a group of people, and, and it's people because it's men and women, and even some kids. We had some kids here helping work yesterday. I mean, they didn't last very long because they went and played, which I don't blame them. That was way more fun than painting. Um, but we appreciate those who continued to serve and help yesterday. Thank you to Josh Dennis, who made some of our other mistakes look good as he went over them and made them look better. So um, thank you to those who helped yesterday. And Mandy, thanks for coming on your birthday. You know, it was a great birthday present to yourself. Uh, I'm going to go work for someone else for free. Um, that's what everyone wants to do on their birthday. We've continued to talk about this idea that life is full of choices, that we each have decisions we make. And each of our choices ultimately stem from some, some value system, something that we filter our life through even if that filter is like completely reactionary, that we don't really think about it, we just respond to everything around us. So then our, our filter, our value system is total reaction, which isn't much of a value system. But, but we've asked the question, we'll continue to ask the question, what would it look like if we lived intentionally? What would it look like if we lived life intentionally with intention? What if in our life we looked at what was going on and we said, you know, I want to think this through because... We've shared this line every week of the series, and we'll get again next week. But what we find over and over again is that if we are not careful, our lives will reflect values that we don't want to reflect. Like this is so true for all of us if we're not careful. I mean, it's some of us we filter things through intentionally and we think about it well, but others of us, we're not so sure. And so we as a church said, well, what are, what are some things that we value? And what are things that maybe if not only do we value them, but what if we personally value them? What if that combination, if we lived from that place of value, from that kind of lens, if you will, that if we filtered our life from that perspective, that maybe some we'd make some better decisions. We could live with less regret. We could begin to see the world in ways that are more honoring to others or even ourselves. And so these are the four values. We talked about extravagant love. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about what would it look like to love extra? To love people beyond what they deserve or what they even think they deserve? What if we were that kind of people who loved in that way? It was extravagant love. What would that look like? And last week, we talked about extreme generosity. And some of you are, are giving to with the idea of Bridge the Gap Fund, to renovation and some ministry investment, and you're saying, you know what, I'll give extra because God calls me to be generous, and so you've been participating in that, and so thank you, continue to please do that. We'll be generous towards others. And this week we're going to talk about authentic relationships in just a moment, and then next week we'll talk about intentional growth. Like, what, what does it mean to live intentionally to grow? Because all of us get older, uh, we're learning that, right? I mean, I get more gray hair, um, I feel like I don't grow taller, my kids do, so I feel shorter, like this combination continues to happen. Um, I'm waiting to catch my dad, is probably going to be when he's buried, but not until then will I pass him in height, right? Like this is, we get older, but not necessarily more mature. We all know old people who are immature, and young people who are mature, and we know the reason, obviously we know old people who are very mature, and young people who are very immature, right? Those can all be true, but we don't want to be old people who are immature, and it would be really cool if we had young people who were mature. But this happens through intentionality, not just by getting older. That's just a byproduct of life. And so we want to talk about what does it look like for us to be intentional in our growth, to grow as people, professionally, spiritually, personally. What does that look like? And so then we'll begin to ask these kind of questions with our life. And as a church, when we think about what we're doing, like, is it loving? Like, is it loving or not? Does it model generosity? Is it something that when people look at it, they go, you know, like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty generous. Like people yesterday generously gave of their time. That's generosity. 
Like there's only 52 Saturdays in the year, and some of you gave at least half a Saturday to the church and just trying to help. That's a pretty cool thing. Would help us build relationships? That's a question we're kind of asking today. Will help us build authentic relationship that's real? And then finally, will it help us grow as a, as a people, as a church, individuals, and corporately? Both are true. But we're talking today about authentic relationship. What does it look like to be a part of authentic relationships? And, and the truth is we all want to be a part of things in which we share in something together. We all want that person or persons in which we share in life and we talk to and we're honest and we're vulnerable with. And so, um, in fact, I, I thought we would show this quick clip about what it looks like to be partially in authentic relationship. And so we'll watch that now. So I'm pretty sure um, we all need a friend that we can do something like that with. I'm not sure I recommend doing that in particular. Um, some of you might end up in the hospital. We wonder why concussions are on the rise. There's the answer among kids. But see, the church, we can't guarantee the kind of friendship where you can beat each other's heads in. <clears throat> Nor do I think you want that kind of friendship necessarily. In fact, we can't guarantee that you'll find someone here that you have the same hobbies or interests, but what if we could guarantee at some level we could help you have authentic relationships? Real, genuine relationship. It takes vulnerability on both sides to have a genuine relationship. It's not necessarily an easy thing. What we see is that's not always easy. In fact, what I would say is this. Um, it's hard in our, our culture and our world to have really good relationships. I mean, we can have hundreds or even thousands of friends on social media and really feel like we don't know anyone and they don't know us. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, we mentioned as we kind of talked about just mental health just a few moments ago, it's real, it's an issue. In fact, one of the things that psychologists are studying now is the, the impact of how social media increases narcissism. Um, and so it's in this way, like we'll post selfies or articles and so we have to, check incessantly, how many more likes did I get? How come they have more likes than I have? And so it's a desire of affirmation, but we, we want it digitally, but the truth is we don't really long for it digitally. Innately, we long for it personally. We long for a relationship where someone knows me and I know them, because the truth is, I would probably, like you, I would trade thousands of Facebook friends for like a really good friend over a cup of coffee. Someone I met with and shared life with and had conversation with. Because the truth is, we can have good interaction online. I, I don't want to say it's like an evil thing. I don't believe that. I think there can be some really good stuff that happens with it. But there's still, at the end of the day, no substitute for in-person relationships. And there never will be. Now, we can use like social media and online stuff to help improve those or add to, or it's pretty cool to get to connect with people we don't see. I, I was really fortunate yesterday, I got to go watch a kid I coached in sixth and seventh grade basketball when we lived in Illinois, and 
he's the starting quarterback for Aurora University. And so I went and watched him play yesterday. I would have known he was playing at Hope College if his mom hadn't reached out to me and said, hey, Gavin's going to be at Hope if you want to come watch him play. I know you don't live that far from there. So I was able to go watch a kid and connect with him and talk to him after the game. It was pretty cool to see. But that relationship was way better in person than me just sending him a note on social media. So what does it look like for us to build these kinds of relationships? And sometimes when we have in-person relationships, they're so bad, we think, I'd rather go back online. At least I can turn it off. <laughs> right? We get that's real too. So what's it look like if we talk about authentic relationships? See, here's the thing. Most studies tell us when it comes to knowing people, there's only three to five people who know us intimately and we know intimately. Three to five. That's it. At any one point in your life. Because sometimes it's someone when you're younger that's not someone when you're older. Like that happens. It's at most three to five people. It's not very many. There are about 15 or so people we know really well. That's figure that's like a small group size. It's about what we know well. And there's about 50 that we know well. Like we, we know their name, we know part of their story, we know what's going on in their life. Uh, probably not who we confide our deepest, darkest secrets in, but we know them pretty well. And then, then after that, there's roughly you know, 600 or so people, according to Columbia University, that we can, on quick glance, recognize their, their name and their face, and we can put it together. And then, and then some studies will even say it's like 1,500 or 2,000 people that we filter through all the time. That that's what we know. We know their name. We don't necessarily know them. Because the truth is, we can't really know more than like 20 people, right? That's what we just said. And so it's interesting that Jesus in some ways modeled this for us with his life. And so, so he had three. I don't know if you know, like there were the 12, which is obvious. That's kind of the bigger group. But he had three he knew really, really well. And they knew him intimately. So it was a group of four. That three to five. Interesting, right? Then there were the 12. I said 15 or so, right? He had his own little small group. The 12 that he knew really well. He was part of that. It makes 13. And then there were the 70 he sent out, right around 50, ironically enough. And then when he reappeared, there were 500. Ironically, about the number we know. Right? Well, I think Jesus modeled in his life over and over again is not only how he lived, but how he calls us to live and recognize the reality of the world in which we live. And relationships are hard. So the truth is for us, like, you don't have to try to know everyone, because you can't. It is humanly impossible. I love when people say, like, well, you know, so if this is you, I'm, I'm not meeting you in general. I've, I'm thinking of no one in particular. Um, I say, I, I loved when our church was really small. We knew everyone. And they then tell me that they were like 50 people. Like, well, you didn't know them. Literally, studies tell you, you cannot know them well. Like, yeah, it's not possible. It's humanly impossible to do. So you just thought you did. It's true for many of us. But what if, what if I got to know a few people really well, and we collectively got to know lots of people really well together? This is kind of the, the role of the church. This is what the church has always been about. And so here's what I would say. We should try to build authentic relationships in the church. And it's okay if we don't know everyone. But it's never okay not to try to get to know people. Right? That's the difference. It's okay if you don't know everyone in this room. That's okay. It's just not okay if we don't try. Probably can't do it. But it's a good idea to try to do it. Right, because here's, here's part of why I say this. Uh, this stat I came across that I thought was fascinating this week. Um, it's also from the Columbia University study. It said we spend two-thirds of our time with 15 people. That 15 people probably changes in different seasons of life, but we spend two-thirds of our time with 15 people. So the question you and I have to wrestle with is, are, are we spending two-thirds of that time with 15 people we want to spend time with? 
Are they people that have authentic relationship, or is it just kind of fake, surface level, not very good? And so studies tell us that we kind of have social circles, social groups of about 15 to 20-ish. And so actually as a church, we said, well, if that's true, if we have social circle groups of about 15 to 20 that we kind of share in life sporadically with, what if, what if we had connection groups? What if we had small groups that were about 15 to 20 people? Like that's kind of our goal, is that every group we'd have here would have about that number in it. We recognize not everybody comes every week. In fact, there's a sign-up sheet. New groups are starting in October. There's a group that'll meet Sunday morning. We're doing a whole series together. But we'd encourage you, if you're not a part of a group in the church and you feel like you don't necessarily know people well, we can't promise your best friend, but we can promise to try to create environments in which authentic relationships take place. So what we do with that? See, one of the biggest knocks on Christianity and the church in general in America is, is this. Um, people are fake, they're hypocritical, they're not authentic. And at some level, there's truth to that. I about you, but I'm, I'm trying to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday and continuing to try to go down that road. And, and sometimes I'm not exactly who I want to be, and so I, I either have to apologize to a person or to Jesus, right, because I, I wasn't who I wanted to be. And so there's some truth that we're trying to, to grow and to be better than we were before, and, and God is at work in us in that. And so there's some truth to that, but, but most of us don't intentionally live as hypocrites. I mean, maybe you do. Stop it. Um, just say you don't want to follow Jesus. That's easier. Um, but, but the truth is we kind of want authentic relationships, and that matters. And so what do we mean by authentic? And so psychology today gives us these words that I think might be helpful for us. And so here's what the writer in psychology today said. Talking about authentic. What does the dictionary have to say? Merriam-Webster defines authentic as a quality of being genuine and worthy of belief. Hence, a person who is completely trustworthy is deemed to be authentic. Yet to be genuine requires a certain transparency, whereby others can witness the unfiltered personality without any masking. Most of us are too concerned with what others think of us. As such, we may disguise or manipulate features of our personality to better Assure that others aren't judgmental or adversely reactive to us. If I worry about what others think of me, then I manipulate my personality and communication either to seek approval or avoid disapproval. This mask, my true or authentic self, although this personality trait is commonplace, it's far removed from authenticity. There appears to be an inverse correlation between one's sensitivity to what others think of them and the ability to be authentic. Authenticity requires a genuine sharing of our inner self, irrespective of the consequences. Very often, our actions in a given moment are intended to avoid certain consequences. And so we alter or mitigate our communications or behavior to assure that those consequences won't be negative or problematic. These tendencies diminish our authenticity and they constrain our growth and self-esteem. Being authentic requires a genuine sharing in the present moment. Ordinarily, though, our thoughts conspire in a tangle of excuses as to why we can't do something. These are the consequences to which I was previously referring. This is the core of inauthenticity. Our words or actions become disguised from their original intent since we choose to mask them. When this occurs, we literally subvert our genuine self. Authenticity is hard. 
because it does require a level of vulnerability. It requires being present in the moment to respond in the moment. That's hard. Because often we take our angers, our hurts, and we walk away with them, and we hold them. But in authentic relationships, we have conversations. We wrestle through. We share. We talk about them. We, we don't worry what the other one may think of me because I know who I am. It's why we talk so much about having our identity wrapped up being beloved children of God because there's nothing greater we can become than that. And so Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3 a, a few words for us that I think are helpful as we think about what does it look like for us to live authentic relationships? What should be the characteristics of who we are if we're going to be authentic with others? Because just being honest, if we're a jerk, is not valuable. Right? Like that's not the kind of relationship anybody wants to be part of. So Paul writes these words in Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 14. Here is what Paul writes. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Colossians 3, 12-14, the word of the Lord. So I could probably spend a lot of time on Paul's words. In fact, I've preached from this very text before, and, and every time I could spend talk, time talking about it differently. But, but here's what I'll say this. I won't spend a lot of time on, on Paul's words of forgiveness, which echo the words of Jesus on forgiveness. Um, but I'll remind us the reality of forgiveness. Unforgiveness does not destroy the person we are not forgiving. It destroys us. Say that again, because this is really good, and it's really important for all of us. Unforgiveness does not destroy the person we are not forgiving. It destroys us. I'll butcher the quote that Nelson Mandela said. It was something about um, the idea of harboring unforgiveness in our heart. It's like drinking poison and wanting our enemy to die. Right? Unforgiveness is one of those things, and when we don't forgive, it destroys us. It eats us from the inside out. And so Paul here is giving these kind of things that should center our relationships. And he begins talking about all these kind of things. So um, unforgiveness is not the only thing that keeps us from authentic relationships. One of the things that Jesus does, and this is what Paul is trying to get us to understand, is Jesus, and he writes, Paul writes this all throughout his letters. Jesus destroys all the barriers that keep us from having good relationships. So the things that typically will keep us from having a good relationship are like birth, like how old I am, where I'm from, my nationality, my gender, so male, female. Uh, I, don't, I don't know a lot of nationalities off the top of my head, so we'll just leave that out. But, but wherever we're from, like we think, oh, well, they're Hispanic, so I can't talk to them. Oh, oh they're from Eastern Europe, Europe. I don't talk to those people. Um, you know, I, whatever it is, God says through the person of Jesus, like, those are not good enough anymore. Move on from them. Paul writes about how ceremonial ritual, in other words, if you were circumcised or uncircumcised, like that does not matter. We don't think much about that now, probably a good thing. But, but this is reality. These things don't separate us from each other. They don't really matter. Cultured or uncultured people, it doesn't matter. Slave or free, wherever we're from, our backgrounds, in other words, this color of our skin, the background in which we come from, the money in our wallet, these are things that Jesus removes as barriers in our relationships with others. And so in Jesus, all the barriers that may separate us are taken down. 
And then Paul begins to write about some attributes that should be attributed to the followers of Jesus. He says, here's what we should look like if we're people who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And i got to be honest with you, um, they're all personal relationship issues. And so he talks about mercy and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. So in other words, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, we should be defined by mercy and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. In part, it's a hard truth for us that we are to forgive as we are forgiven. Because if Jesus has forgiven us, then we're called to do the same. I mean, this is not necessarily easy teaching. But this is what Paul tells us. If we want to be in right relationship with God, this is what's required. These are hard things. What Paul wants us to know is if you will live in this way and over all these things, put in the virtue of love. This for us is sometimes really hard if we're honest. I mean, so what would it look like if we embraced in our relationship these virtues? What would it look like? Can you imagine what things might look like? Can you imagine what your family or your workplace, can you imagine if we embrace these? Now, here's the thing. If we all embrace them, the world looks radically better. But what do we do when someone else doesn't embrace them, but I embrace them as true? What then? See, authentic relationships centered in the virtues of Jesus will build up families and communities. That's just what will happen. That's what the early church did. They literally transformed like the Roman Empire, the greatest empire the world has ever known. They transformed it. They changed it from inside out. As it gets a little personal, I begin to ask this question. What would it take for these virtues to come true in my life? What would it take for you and I to be defined by gentleness, mercy, humility? People who bear with one another and forgive as Christ forgives us. What would it take for that to be real in our life? I think these words of N.T. Wright are helpful for us. Remember that with most of these words, there are people, like the ones that we mentioned before, who will mock the very idea of behaving like this. Remind yourself that to be tender-hearted doesn't mean being sentimental. That being kind doesn't mean being a soft touch. That humility isn't the same thing as low self-esteem. That meekness is not weakness, but is what you get when a powerful wild horse has been tamed. All the same power, but now under control. That large-heartedness doesn't mean letting everyone do what they want with you. Don't let people scoff at the central virtues that make the Christian life what it's supposed to be. Why do you think people do that? Are they perhaps threatened by such a dazzling and demanding way of life? Can you imagine the impact if we live that way? Hello. It's like elevator music for all of us right now. Um, it's that awkward moment in the elevator when everyone's in there and you're like, okay, what now? And so we have it sometimes even in the church too. So um, the truth is we all want to have good relationships. We all want to be in relationships that are good, that matter, that are valuable. But sometimes we're not sure how we do that. And here's the thing. We may not be able to change others. But we can choose to change. To live in authentic relationships, we may not be able to change the other person, but we can choose to change. See, authentic relationships stem from a willingness to grow as people. Authentic relationships stem from this idea that I'm willing to have some people who speak hard truth into my life that call me out on stuff that I don't necessarily like. 
that they love me enough. We're going to talk about intentional growth next week. And this is a part of this because it means to be discipled or mentored by someone and for them to speak into my life and for me to hear things that sometimes are not always easy to hear. This is what this means to grow. But authentic relationships need to have that in the midst of it. It's a call not to be fake, but to be genuine. Now, to be clear, to be genuine doesn't say that you can ignore the characteristics Paul writes about and just be who you are. Because if who you are is the opposite of humble and gentle and loving and forgiving, then stop being who you are and change. That's what Paul's trying to say here. Don't live as that because that doesn't get us anywhere. In fact, this makes people more annoyed with us. So how do we live into that? What? It's really hard, by the way. It requires the work of God in our life. It requires this acknowledgement of God's spirit. It requires relationships with others or others we never get there. And it also means authentic relationships calls to think of others first. But not at the expense of ourselves. The truth is we can't love others unless we love ourselves. Can't do it. It's impossible. There's no love that exists in you. So if you go back to the article I referenced in Psychology Today, that just that excerpt, this idea of what love actually looks like, how do we embrace that? Because authentic relationships require us to do the hard work of becoming people who show compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. So what if the church, what if you and I, what if we were defined by these characteristics? Can you imagine what that might look like? What if we took these words of Paul and we embraced them, that we would bear with each other and forgive one another, and if any of you has a grievance against someone, you forgive as the Lord forgave you? What if that was true for us? What kind of people would we become? And so what if we work to be a people of authentic relationship? As you go, how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked, even though you didn't ask. You just want me to stop talking. So we have these cards available at the Welcome Center. I mean, it's actually the sign, the, ho- the wall that Holly pointed out. We have these cards. And so we recognize that part of how we do this is we've been talking about bridge the gap from what is to what could be. And the gap is wh- what exists in the middle from where we are to where, where God may be calling us. And so, so there's just these things that have just a few areas, worship, grow, serve, give, share. And each of them has a personal component. So what would it look like if I did this personally in my life? What, what, what could I tangibly do? And then a, a community component, as a part of the church, what would this look like? And so like an example, it says worship. Well, what could I do to do that personally? I could express gratitude daily. Um, and, and so as a part of the church, what could I do to, to do that? I could increase my monthly attendance. So if I come once, I'd come twice. If I come twice, I'd come three times. You know, whatever it is. How do I increase that? That's spiritual growth. Um, how do I grow? I'd read and study scripture, and then I would join a group, is what we've been talking about today, live an authentic relationship. How do I serve? I would just show kindness daily, um, and serve with the church. I would give, I'd be generous towards others, I'd give to God, and I'd share, tell your story about how Jesus impacted your life. What if I did that six times per year? We're not asking like for a million, but what if you did it six times per year? I did the math a few weeks ago, if you weren't here, but the math simply is this, we have about 500 people who call our church home, if all 500 people told someone the story about Jesus, what he did in their life, um, that would be 30,000 people over the next decade who would hear about Jesus. Or if I were to say it this way, if I were to invite them to church, and I invited six people a year, and everybody in the church did it, that would be 30,000 people in 10 years who were invited to be a part of the community of faith. 
And so these cards are available for you to take, put it on your refrigerator, put it in the bathroom, put it in your, on your dashboard in your car, wherever you think you remember putting your Bible, uh, but that means you got to open it. Um, but, but take these and begin to think about what would it look like? So how do I build authentic relationship? I become the man or woman that God is calling me to be. How do I live as someone who embraces the characteristic that Paul writes about, that Jesus modeled his life? I trust God's spirit to be at work in my life, and I'm a part of a community of faith that challenges me to grow. So what would it look like to live an authentic relationship? And normally we ask the praise team to come, but we're not going to today. Instead, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going we're to pray together. And then I'm going to give a challenge as you leave, which everyone loves these kinds of things. Some of you right now are ready to shoot me. Um, because what I'm going to say is, I, I would challenge you to have one authentic conversation at some level before you leave today. That means if someone says, how are you? I'm fine, but you're a wreck. You can't say I'm fine. I'm good, but you're really not. I mean, you don't have to be like, I mean, I get, you don't have to go to someone that you don't necessarily know on that one, because that one can be even more scary, but go to someone in the room. If you're new, um, you can probably skip out, and I won't be upset with you, but for the rest of us, what if, before we left today, we had one authentic semblance of a relationship? Because we live in a world that desperately longs for that. There's something in all of us that wants to be known and known by others. And so as we leave today, what if we began to model that I want to live authentically who I really am. And I want to grow to become who God is calling me to be. So that when I say, this is who I am, it looks a lot like Jesus. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today for the way in which we get to be near to each other, for the way in which you call us to be your unique people. And so we pray today that we would be a people who would go and model your love. We pray that we would live into authentic relationships, that you would change us and shape us to the words that Paul writes about, that we would recognize meekness is not weakness, that humility is not just getting run over, but we can learn to know what true strength looks like what true love and body looks like, what true forgiveness looks like. And so, Father, help us to live as this kind of people here and now because when we live that way, we find true freedom in our life. We find true purpose in knowing you. We find a hope that lasts in this place, in this time, in this space. And so, Father, help us to embrace the love of Jesus in our own hearts so that we can change the world around us. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name.